there, and welcome to the COVID-19 and Food podcast series from the Institute for Global Food Security at Queen's University, Belfast. My name's Una Bradley. I'm the comms officer for IGFS. During this series, I'll be speaking to some of our top researchers about the effects of the coronavirus on food systems, food integrity, and our relationship with food. But first, a disclaimer. We're still recording this series remotely, so please be tolerant of any technical blips or less than perfect sound quality. My guest today is Dr. Danielle McCarthy, a senior lecturer in nutrition. In keeping with the interdisciplinary nature of IGFS, Danielle's background is a mix of academic and industrial, research and retail. A passionate believer in a multidisciplinary, cross-stakeholder approach to improving population health, she's held a number of senior roles in food and pharma, including Head of Nutrition for Sainsbury's and Principal Scientist at GlaxoSmithKline. Recently returned to academia, she teaches and researches with an emphasis on citizen science and co-creating solutions to public health problems through consumer engagement and education. She also teaches business innovation, supporting students to understand it as a way of implementing science and opening up the world of entrepreneurship. So many thanks, Danielle, for joining us today. Obviously, at the time of recording, many people are easing out of lockdown, but for lots of others, including the both of us and the majority of our colleagues, we're still working from home. You've written about how this extended spell at home offers an opportunity for increased nutritional health and well-being. Why, why is that and what exactly do you mean? Well, Una, it's a great question and I'm sure from your own experience, you can agree that we've all become much more conscious about what food we're buying and when we're getting it. And that's more time thinking about food, more time spent planning and preparing our meals. Well, we know from the research of Moira Dean and Fiona Lavelle in, the, in our group here, along with our collaborators in Australia, that this food planning and food shopping is strongly related to the, the nutritional quality, the diet quality, um, as well as obviously the more well-known, more, more appreciated impact of cooking skills. Actually, that time spent planning is also really important when it comes to the nutrition quality of our diets. Um, so the next question is often as a nutritionist is, well, you know, there are so many messages out there. What should we be doing at this time and how can we spend that time most effectively in terms of improving our diet quality? And I always come back to two very simple things, and that is variety and portion size. So you can get loads and loads of different messages when it comes to what we should think about whenever we're trying to have, you know, a really great diet. And ultimately, I think if people focus on the variety that they're having, so that comes to the variety of fruits and vegetables, simplest way is lots of different colours will ensure that you've got lots of different types of fruit and vegetables. And then, you know, when you think about protein sources, thinking not just about our lean meats, which maybe culturally here in Northern Ireland we go to straight away, but, you know, broadening, broadening that out to beans and pulses, we've seen an increase in canned um, products being purchased at this time because we all can't get to the shops as frequently and they're all really great new ways hopefully that people can start introducing different types of protein into their diets as well as things like fish and eggs, nuts and seeds and things um, and again you know variety of carbohydrates traditionally we'll all go for our potatoes here but you know as our 
diversity of diets is increasing, things like pasta, which obviously has been bought in. We heard lots and lots of the stories about pasta yes. at the start of this lockdown period and bread and rice. You know, it's really about bringing that variety to what we're eating and also focusing on portion size because we do know that we do have an issue in the UK about obesity incidents. And that is certainly something that we are looking at from a public health perspective as to how we can help um, avoid um, people developing obesity, but also help those who are currently overweight try to get back to a normal healthy weight. And, and we've really seen the dramatic importance of that in this pandemic in terms of there's been an awful spillover between the food system and the health system. And a lot of the underlying health conditions related to COVID-19 pandemic are dietary related. So it is a real time for people to focus on food and what they're buying, but also their health. So I guess in this time, I would say just really try and think of that variety and that portion size um, as key things. Now, the other things people did want a little bit more detail in terms of what we are really lacking from our UK. We're very lucky we have the National Diet and Nutrition Survey, which is conducted every year. And we know from that that the UK population across all age groups and both men and women are not getting their five portions of fruit and vegetables. Many aren't. And um, the average intake is, is less than that five a day. So if that is one goal that people really wanted to focus on in that time, that would help bring about that variety. And it would also help increase fibre, which we know levels of our fibre are below what we would be recommended. The other thing you need to think about as well, Public Health England have recommended during this period of the COVID pandemic to um, continue taking a vitamin D supplement of 10 micrograms per day. So that's something else people might want to think about in this time as they, they consider how to keep healthy. Yes, because, um, you know, as well as all this anecdotal evidence of people cooking more from scratch and baking more, as you say, it's it's a bit of a two-sided picture, isn't it? Because a lot, a lot of other people have been reporting eating more takeaways or drinking more alcohol or perhaps stockpiling the processed food. So it, I guess it's a complex um, and possibly a changing picture as well. And I'm glad you mentioned health because there, there has been, you know, obviously as we ease out of lockdown, but brace for the potential of a second wave. Um, there's been a lot of debate about whether we can boost our immunity through food. And what would be your position on that? You've mentioned the vitamin D has been an important part of that. Yes, well, you know, I couldn't agree more. And from a research perspective, that that constant transition is something that's really interesting for us to explore further. So there are initial results that are out at the minute, but they have been conducted quickly and it will it will take time before we understand a complete picture that's representative of our entire population. But certainly there was a study published there by the United Nations, which absolutely demonstrates that that home cooking seems to be the big difference. And, and you know, that that's obvious, really, because we've all had to stay at home and we haven't had those out of home options before. Um, when it does come to um, immune boosting foods and, you know, I would love to be able to sit here and say, do you know what the answer is? We just need to go out and buy this product. But, you know, the reality is that doesn't exist. There is no food that has been approved by the European Food Safety Authority as being able to boost our immunity. And um, so you know, the answer is not simply to buy a certain food or indeed to just take one specific vitamin supplement. Our immunity um, is, our immune system is built upon various different factors and it's actually a lot of different types of nutrients 
that help support our and, and manage our effective immunity. So really, it would go back to that, that first message, which is have that variety within your diet. And through that variety, you will get the various different vitamins and minerals and macronutrients that your immune system needs to stay healthy. So no magic bullet, unfortunately, for, for that. But, not um, yet. That's not been developed just quite yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, another point, I suppose, that I find interesting is access to nutrition and um, good foods as well, which is obviously, you know, a bit more of a social um, point, but but still it, it, it really comes into this whole world. And in a recent webinar hosted by the One Planet Network, um, they drew attention to the impact of COVID on access to healthy, nutritious and sustainable food, particularly by vulnerable populations. Um, you know, have you had much um, input into that sort of area? Well, it's certainly one that um, together with colleagues in the Centre of Public Health, we've been paying particular attention to. And um, so the Trussell Trust in Northern Ireland very recently released figures on the current food poverty here in Northern Ireland. And UNIT doesn't make um, great reading. Um, we can see from their figures that emergency food parcels in Northern Ireland have seen an increase over the last year. Between April this year and April last year, there was a 142% increase in adults and children in their need for emergency food parcels. Now that is massive. And to make it a comparison to what that level is in the UK, they noticed an 89% increase. So here in Northern Ireland, as with other areas of Northern uh, in the UK, but within Northern Ireland, we do have a real need here for helping those mo in most vulnerable in our society. Um, and to be clear, you know, that spike in demand isn't just for people who can't access food. That increases in people who cannot afford food during this crisis. So, um, you know, a large focus of our work here will be looking to support to understand more about what activities have happened during the COVID pandemic, because actually one really interesting and exciting and, and inspiring um, consequence of the pandemic is how many different people have come together and acted differently and how those vulnerable, those most vulnerable in our society have become central to our food system. And all of those um, innovative actions and adaptations from, you know, community groups, from council workers shifting their jobs um, and food businesses adapting their provisions to be able to support those most vulnerable in society. I certainly um, have, have found it very humbling to listen to um, you know, different people speak in terms of how um, we have coped during this period and making sure that everybody has got access to um, nutritious food. Now, one of the interesting things I listened to was a webinar by um, Leslie Forsyth from North Ayrshire Council. And actually what she was talking about was saying that during this time, they've been able to provide different types of foods. So actually, rather than um, maybe the more traditional packaged foods that food banks would have, they have been able to divert foods that would normally be going into schools to help those with um, additional vulnerabilities and needs at this time. Um, but that in itself brings other challenges, um, such as, you know, sometimes people don't have the facilities needed, even cookers, to be able to use those foods. And also maybe they don't have the familiarity or the knowledge on how to store the food. So it's a very complex system. And I think 
ultimately COVID-19 has really clearly shown the fragility of our food system and also exposed the inequalities that do exist. So we do need to work very hard as a society to understand what great work has happened now and how we can hopefully use that to build up better um, going through the recovery phase from the COVID-19 and make sure that everybody has access to safe and nutritious food. Yeah, I, I guess food workers are, are another good example of what you're talking about. I mean, on the one hand, there has been a renewed appreciation for them as key workers, um, as illustrated by the hashtag food heroes. But on the other hand, they themselves are a vulnerable group and um, the lowest paid along the food chain and now even more vulnerable under COVID as recent outbreaks, um, you know, at meat plants have illustrated. So, I mean, you mentioned there about the fragility of the system. I mean, do you think it's definitely time to shake up the way in which our, our sort of global and local food systems are organised? Yes, well, I think, you know, before COVID we realised and, and it was um, there was a number of different scientific meetings that I have attended where the topic was, you know, healthy, sustainable food systems. What are we going to do? I'm very interested in that public health and the health of our population. And also now we are recognising that we have to bring into those conversations the health of our planet as well. I think COVID-19 has absolutely exposed some cracks in that system and at a scale that no longer can we continue to talk about doing something different. But I think, you know, the phenomenal adaptation and speed and human approach, human centred approach that we've seen um, movements towards more localised solutions and those communities coming together. I think we can't help but imagine a new food system coming out of this. And I certainly am excited to see what that looks like to really try and ensure that equitable access to safe and nutritious food for everyone. Yes, because you mentioned there about about habits changing, you know, not just in cooking and eating, but obviously in shopping as well. I mean, early data coming out, you know, even just in the past few months suggests that people are buying more from the smaller local independent shops, you know, as opposed to going to the supermarket so often um, and maybe shopping less regularly in terms of the big weekly shop and, and um, you know, top, topping up in between from the local shops. And some people are sourcing direct from farmers or others are buying online from the likes of Amazon Grocery. Do you think these habits, you know, will have good long term outcomes or is it just too early to say? Well, you know, ultimately the, the scale and the pace of the change that has happened in terms of food distribution and the length of time, you know, we're now quite a few months in to this situation and all of those things would speak to the likelihood that behaviours that are established are likely to be continued. Um, there was a recent report published by Sustain that did a survey looking at different food enterprises um, and how they have adapted during this time. And actually 45% reported an increase in their online presence. 45% um, moved to a click and collect delivery service or reported diversifying their products. We as consumers of food might change our behaviours, but also our food enterprises might change their behaviours. And it will take time for us to understand what sticks. But certainly I think with our new experience, our new needs, there will be adaptations to the products and services and innovations. So, you know, that is one thing about food retail. It is hugely responsive and um, hopefully that can be done in a way that that builds up nutrition quality into the response as well as um, 
you know, all of those other different needs and habits. But it's certainly a time of transition. And I think it's around making sure that we consider within that transition, how can we drive that sustainable, healthy approach to our food to really help all of us manage our health better in the long term. What What about some of those um, emotional connections as well? I mean, I mean, do you think that um, people have maybe sort of uh, rediscovered in a sense, uh, you know, a closer relationship with food as as a result of these changing habits in shopping and cooking? You know, so it's kind of harder one at the minute. You know, shopping takes longer, requires a bit more planning. Cooking takes longer. So might we be taking our food for granted a little bit less? Again, I, I absolutely hope so. Probably too early to tell in terms of the evidence base for that. But, you know, one of the projects that we've been working on here at Queen's is Project DARE, which we ran up in the northwest in Derry and Straban. And we really did look at how can, through engagement with food, we potentially alter children's knowledge as well as their attitudes towards food and in so doing perhaps lead to changes in dietary behaviours and indeed we showed in that study across 18 different schools in the region over a thousand children that we can indeed do that so that does give me confidence that actually if we have been able to within our homes reconnect with our food we know from the data that families are spending more time together at the dinner table. Children will obviously see more of those foods that are being created at home, being created at home, which will have an impact hopefully on their food culture in a positive way. Um, but time will need to be told in terms of whether or not that does lead to those long term behaviour changes or not. But certainly, you know, I speak as a nutritionist, but um, on the other hand, I speak as a real life person and food does nourish us, but it nourishes not us not just physically, but also emotionally and socially. And that, that those are key elements of our health um, that that we all, I think, appreciate so much more um, because of the experience that we have all had. And so, you know, that's where there's huge potential in food as a connector to our physical health, but also our emotional and social well-being too. And that's why food is central to so many cultural celebrations. We think about, well, what food are we going to have at that time? So it is about joy and it should be about joy. Um, and it's just how do we integrate health within that for, for a complete win for all of us? Fascinating stuff, Danielle, and so much to think about as we all continue to navigate this strange new world we find ourselves in. But I'm afraid that's all we have time for now. So a big thank you to our guest today, Dr. Danielle McCarthy. And you can tune into this podcast again and the whole series on our website. That's www.qub.ac.uk forward slash IGFS. And please don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter too at QUB IGFS. Thanks for listening. Catch you the next time.